All right, all right, all right. Here we are. We're back. We're here. This is Higher Ground with Dr. Holt. Let me tell you, I don't know where you are. Um, I don't know what part of the house you're on. You could be in uh, in the living room, in the kitchen, or you could be on the highway listening in, or you could be at the gym working out, or you could be jogging, or power walking, wherever you are. I just want to let you know that you get your Fruit Loops, get your Apple Jacks, get your Corn Flakes, um, get your Captain Crunch. If you don't like cold cereal, then you can get you some hot cereal, get you your, your cream of wheat and your oatmeal, and let's get it on this on, on today. Um, we're happy uh, to be on the broadcast on air, Higher Ground with Dr. Hope. Um, you're listening to one of the best, uh, intriguing, uh, most challenging, yet uh, one of the most inspiring and motivating uh, podcasts in the entire nation. You hear me. You heard me correctly. Um, I tell you, listen, it's just um, an awesome day today. You ought to be glad um, that you're in the land of the living today. We all have so much to be grateful for, seeing that the COVID-19 virus have really challenged our, our world, our nation, our communities. Um, but we're still here because we're resilient people. Listen. Higher Ground is an awesome show. It's a show about uh, having uh, tough discussions and have also having uh, scholarly discussions um, in regards to trauma and PTSD and mental health and social justice issues. Um, and I'm so glad that you decided to tune in and listen to us. Um, and just for those that don't know who I am, uh, I'm a national expert when it comes to trauma. Um, I'm a certified traumatologist, which simply means that we are psychologists that specifically specialize um, in the neuroscience of the brain. And and we also do deep uh, research and studies on how trauma impacts the brain. Um, and uh, we study the, 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 the science of it, uh, the pra- being practitioners of it, um, and we do all we can to support uh, those that are in the profession where there's high levels of trauma. I'm also not only a certified traumatologist in psychology, um, but I'm also a mental health specialist. And so uh, supporting individuals or doing trainings, um, doing research on mental illness. Um, and so in times like these, most definitely, I think it is very appropriate where we are today to be having these tough discussions um, and these relevant discussions about trauma. Um, and so I'm a national expert, um, work for the Metropolitan State University of Denver, Colorado, uh, under a specific equity division of the university called WEAC, which stands for Western Educational Equity Assistance Center. Um, I also work for in the Tucson area because I'm in Tucson, Arizona. Um, I work for Tucson Unified School District where I assist that district in regards to bullying prevention and trauma as well. Um, and if you were to ask me, uh, Dr. Holder, what, what is going on and why are we sounding an alarm? Because of the fact that the matter is trauma have shifted the game of education. I'm going to say that one more time. Trauma have changed the game when it comes to education. Um, education uh, to the point um, to where it's impacting students, it's impacting staff, and it's impacting parents. And trauma is no longer just this inconvenience that we just used to try to just get around to it when we felt like we wanted to, or we would kick the can down the road and want to address it and deal with it later. Ladies and gentlemen, I will tell you as an expert, um, the trauma is no longer inconvenience. It is a public health crisis. You heard me, a public health crisis. Um, not only is it a public health crisis, when it comes to students, it's an academic crisis. Um, because until we address trauma, we will never get to the point of helping kids achieve. Or I say it this way, the reason why uh, kids' learning um, is impaired is because of the fact that kids' uh, social and emotions have been ignored. Let me say that again. The reason why kids' cognitive functioning and executive functioning that produces learning has been impaired is because of the simple fact that um, the way kids feel has been ignored. Um, And I'm all saying that all to say 
um, that until we stop ignoring how kids feel and address their pain and brokenness from trauma and chronic stress, we will never get to the point of uh, them performing academically and learning in the classroom. Um, it's crazy. We, we have it a little different. We expect kids to perform academically, but don't address all of the pain and all of the brokenness that kids go through and all of the trauma that they're going through. And not only I'm the host of Higher Ground, but I'm also the founder of a new organization, my LLC, uh, called The Lemonade Project. And it's an organization where all of my mental health and trauma work is under this umbrella where I do the work. And the theme of our Lemonade Project is turn your lemons into lemonade. We also understand that trauma can be sour like lemons. Sour uh, like poverty, sour like abuse, sour like maltreatment, sour uh, like a neglect and grief. Um, and those situations can most definitely bring some sourness to people's lives. But there's also um, not just a deficit piece of trauma, but there's an asset base approach to trauma, and that's resilience, which means that even though that your life may have come with many different um, pain and brokenness and disappointments and despair, you can rise above your trauma. You can rise above your pain. You can rise above your circumstances when we have resilience. And so that's what the Lemonade Project is about. It's about we already, we will acknowledge and affirm that that the trauma and chronic stress is certainly a struggle in the victim's life. But however, you can grab those lemons um, and you can let them be sour in your life, or you can make up in your mind that you can grab some lemons and grab some water and grab some sugar and stir that thing up and you can turn your lemons into lemonade. See, what doesn't kill you will make you stronger. And if you don't address your trauma, you will bleed on people that didn't cut you. And so that's why it's important that we um, uh, address trauma. Um, trauma and early childhood trauma is most definitely a serious challenge in the United States. We're seeing more younger children coming into uh, the education system with high levels of trauma like we've never seen before. Um, in today's data, we see that uh, early childhood trauma is around 70%. 70% of Americans have experienced some type of traumatic or early traumatic experience in their lives. 90% of those that have a psychiatric uh, diagnosis um, have some type of relation to some type of level of trauma. So, Dr. Holt, uh, you talk a lot about trauma. Why are we talking about trauma? Because, again, trauma, I believe, is a public health crisis in the school system. Um, systemically, we already didn't do well addressing trauma. Um, but now that we have a whole new monstrosity that is challenging our nation, and that is the COVID-19 virus, and that over 30, 30 million Americans who have filed unemployment, which could be um, that not only we have a pandemic issue, but a financial collapse issue, uh, not only a pandemic issue, but um, moving from a, a recession to a depression. Um, ladies and gentlemen, it, it, it takes no rocket scientist to understand if we already didn't do well addressing trauma. And now we at a point of dealing with a pandemic. Um, and now we at a point of dealing with a total financial collapse uh, where more children won't have food on the table or have uh, a roof over their head um, due to their parents losing their job and, and, being un and, and being unemployed. That means that the institution of learning, our education system, can be challenged like none other. And so today I want to talk about in our first episode, talking about today, what happens when trauma comes to school? What happens when trauma comes to school? This is our part one of our episode today is what happens when trauma comes to school? Well, first of all, let's look at trauma. What is trauma? Trauma is two things in my expertise. Um, one, it's a psychological mental wound um, to the brain. And then two, um, it's a stress. Let's go back. Let's look at one. Trauma um, is when a life-altering or life-devastating or life-threatening situation that has happened to the victim's life 
and whatever that situation can be. And again, um, we talked about the different traumas. It can be violence. Um, it could be um, a life-threatening situation. It can be a natural disaster, an earthquake, a, a hurricane. It can be a drive-by shooting. It can be a robbery, armed robbery. Um, it can be uh, uh, an attempted death threat. Um, it can be a sexual assault. All these things are life-altering, life-devastating situations. Um, and ladies and gentlemen, when these things happens to an individual or has happened to you, it impacts the brain, the hippocampus, which is your memory center of the brain. Um, time stamps these situations and remember these life-altering situations, okay? And so when we talk about trauma, um, a few things you want to look at is, number one, it is a psychological wound. It impacts the brain. So when life altering a life devastating situations hit your life, it will impact the brain on, on negatively. Uh, secondly, not only is trauma a emotional or psychological wound, um, but it is also a stress. Which simply means, um, in layman's term, without me getting too deep into it, is that trauma is a stress that supersedes your ability to cope with it. So individuals who have had life-altering situations, as I stated and alluded to before, is that it is a psychological, emotional wound to the brain which impacts the individual's life. It's also a stress, and when it, when you're going through an overwhelming stress that is so difficult for you uh, to cope with, and you are struggling to maintain and, and remain regulated, um, and not turn or shift into dysregulation, this is what we call uh, traumatic stress. When you are struggling with a situation with the stress levels is so overwhelming, you are struggling to cope with it, this is what we would call um, uh, traumatic stress or chronic stress. Okay. So as I stated there, when we also, uh, there are many different types of traumas. As I said, it can be poverty. Um, it can be abuse. It can be a sexual assault. It can be, uh, mental verbal abuse. It can be maltreatment. It can be neglect. Um, it can be grief. Um, also when people pass away or when people have a terminal sickness and there's nothing you can do about it and you feel completely hopeless and helpless. Um, this is also very, very stressful and true is, and is a traumatic experience. And when people pass away, our loved ones pass away on us. Um, yes, it makes us feel some, some type of way. Grief most definitely can be a trigger, um, uh, to, to, to some greater things such as depression. Uh, so we most definitely have to look at the different ways, uh, people can experience traumatic experience. Divorce is another one. Um, kids can suffer from that, um, when their parents is going through divorce and adults, uh, the ones that are actually going through divorce, um, can be extremely stressful. Um, and most, most divorces are, um, I don't know too many smooth divorces, um, and divorce can be uh, a traumatic experience and, um, yeah, and it can really be challenging and life altering and life devastating to the one that's going through it. So now that we talked about the different types of, uh, different ways a person can, uh, be traumatized, let's talk, let's look at the different types of trauma. Um, one trauma I want to talk about is what we would call acute trauma. And acute trauma um, is um, a trauma that when it only happens to you one time, but yet it still have long-term effects. I'm going to say that again, acute trauma. Acute trauma is a um, one-time trauma, um, but yet even though it happened to you one time, it still have long-term um, impacts on the individual. Let me give you an example. Let's say you was eight years old and you got into a really, really bad car accident and you were blessed miraculously to come out of that um, uh, accident and live to tell the story. Um, even though it's happened 20 years ago, 30 years ago, um, if someone slammed on the brakes or you hear the brakes screeching, um, it, 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 it makes your brain um, 
relive that whole situation and get triggered. Um, and even though it happened over 20 or 30 years ago, you still are impacted by um, an, a life-altering, a life-devastating incident that happened 20, 30 years ago. You still feel some kind of way. You still feel some type of tra- uh, traumatic stress. And you also remember what happened as if it happened today, even though it happened 30 years ago. That would be acute trauma, a short-term trauma with long-term uh, impacts. Secondly, I want to talk about is uh, chronic trauma. Chronic trauma is the opposite of acute trauma. Chronic trauma is a trauma that is long-term, um, and it comes with long-term impacts. One, two great examples is one is abuse. Abuse is a um, is a um, perfect. Uh, an example, an illustration on how we look at uh, a chronic trauma. Um, it's long term. It's been happening for years, not a few days, not a few weeks, but it's been happening for for years. Um, another one about uh, if you want to look at um, chronic trauma, you probably want to look at poverty. Poverty um, is another one I would consider as a chronic traumatic experience because it's very long term. Um, and, and to be in poverty, you're not in poverty for two days and put in a few weeks. It's usually years. I will also be safe to say that perhaps when we look at uh, uh, chronic trauma, that chronic trauma could also, as uh, far as poverty, could not only be a chronic trauma, but also be a generational trauma, which means that um, there are certain traumas that just that are so intrusive that it permeates through generations and it, and it goes from two and three and four generations of family members or, or, or victims, trauma victims, um, struggling with the same type of things. The great-grandparent went through it, the grandparent went through it, the mother or the father went through it, and now the child in the classroom is going through it. So that we can also be looking perhaps uh, abuse and poverty as also a generational trauma. So we have acute trauma, we have chronic trauma. Let's look at complex trauma. Again, complex trauma. So complex trauma is a plethora of traumas that an individual can go through. And many times our children are not only going through acute trauma, chronic trauma, or generational trauma, but they're also going through complex trauma, which where the traumas and the different negative and uh, traumatic experience that they go through get so complex because uh, one kid can be going through five different traumatic events all in one. So when we think about trauma, let's also consider the fact that perhaps that, that child or that student is not just going through one trauma. Sometimes they're going through what, what I call is a complex trauma, can be a plethora of different traumas that one uh, trauma victim or trauma survivor has to go through. Uh, let me give you an example. You can have one kid that's in the eighth grade um, that are that has um, been suffering with uh, poverty um, for a very long time. Then that's one um, trauma. Then two, um, because of the poverty, um, and the parent couldn't take care of them, then they allow the grandparent to take care of that eighth grader. Okay. Um, then what happens is the, the grandmother is not taking care of the eighth grader, but the grandmother fell sick with cancer and then she died. Okay. So now we have a second trauma. Okay. But the other parents cannot take care of them. So someone reports, uh, that the kid is not being taken care of, they, they're not taken care of, so we have child protection services from the state remove the kid, okay? Um, now we have a third trauma. We have separation of the family. Then you put them into a foster, foster care where they get abused. Um, so now we have a fourth trauma. Um, because now they're living with foster parents that are abusing them and really don't care for them and really don't love them, okay? So now you have uh, four different traumas, all right? So, and then they come to school and they already are victims of racism, a victim of biases, and they are bullied because they're different. And so that's five traumas. So I just described you a great picture of what we would say is complex trauma. It's when an individual or a victim or a trauma survivor is going through a plethora of many different traumas. Many of our students are not just going through one uh, type of trauma. Um, they're going through several different. So some have may gone through 
through acute trauma, some are struggling with chronic trauma, and then you have some that are barely making it to school. It's almost a miracle when we see that they have so many different layers of tr- cr- uh, chronic stress, excuse me. Um, and so that will be what we would call complex trauma. Okay, but then we also have something called historical trauma. Now let's look at that for a moment. So when I look at historical trauma, I don't look at it as just past traumas. I think when we look at uh, historical traumas, it's really safe to say that we will have to go a little deeper and look at uh, the traumatic experiences that are identified with minority of color. Okay, um, subgroups of color. And so when we look at the African Americans, we look at Latinos, we look at Native Americans, we look at Jews, um, we know that they have been, they've had some historical traumas that just goes with the culture. When we look at the African Americans, we understand that their trauma um, is extremely historical. It, it is it's systemically historical. It goes way back into the 1600s, dealing with chattel slavery. Um, and dealing with the atrocities of dealing with slavery and dealing with being uh, lynched, having lynchings and dealing with Jim Crow's and redlining and black coding and racism and discrimination. And then we come up into the civil rights era and dealing with discrimination and injustices. And then we come up into the 80s and we're dealing with uh, in the 90s and we're dealing with mass incarceration. We come up into the 2000s and we're focusing and fighting with uh, racial profiling and and all of these injustices that 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 African Americans have to go through and then also up today we're dealing with the school to prison pipeline issue um, and we also dealing with police officers killing unarmed black men and women um, so when we talk about historical traumas we want to also keep these things in mind that these are uh, certain traumas that is related to African Americans all right um, when we deal with the Latina community, um, we want to keep in mind that their historical traumas and the traumas that they're still battling with, the one, uh, racism on the brown community, um, biases on the brown community, uh, separation of families, then uh, detention centers and deportations and incarceration and separation of families um, can um, and is very traumatic. Um, and our English language learners. Um, it's very traumatic. It impacts uh, that community. So when we look at the brown community in America and in our school systems and in our communities, please keep in mind um, the atrocities and the different disparities and the marginalization um, and the disenfranchisement of, of the brown uh, community in, in, in America. Um, when we look at Native Americans, same thing. When we talk about historical traumas, um, going way, 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 way back when um, and looking at um, how they've always struggled since um, they lost their land even up today and high substance abuse and, and, and things of that nature that is in the Native community and also racism and discrimination and, and biases and things of this nature that is toward that community. Um, Jews with the Holocaust. Um, and so uh, I, I described to you, uh, well, when we say uh, uh, historical trauma, I also like to think or look at um, the, 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 the community of color, um, how historically um, they have had to endure some atrocities and some egregious uh, treatment um, in this country um, that goes uh, years and decades and centuries um, into history. Um, so that would be historical trauma. Again, I explained generational trauma, uh, trauma that uh, permeates and uh, is so intrusive that it, it, it goes uh, throughout generations. It's a vicious cycle that each generation continues to repeat itself without anyone breaking that vicious cycle. That would be uh, generational trauma. So those are some different, some different types of traumas. Um, of what we're going through. Um, another one I want to talk about is second uh, STS, which stands for secondary traumatic stress. Um, this is a secondary trauma. Um, another word uh, that you may hear in layman's term 
is compassion fatigue or burnout. And whether and how we explain it is is that professionals that work in careers that is very demanding with high levels of trauma or very traumatic uh, or traumatizing type of careers or jobs or uh, job related uh, symptoms. Um, individuals who uh, deal with uh, high levels of trauma or work with high levels of trauma, caregivers, professionals, first responders, educators, social workers, think you get it. Um, these individuals can be victims of STS, secondary traumatic stress. And this is people that deals with high level, high stressful jobs and jobs that is embedded with a lot of trauma. They also can be, um, get impacted and get affected um, by the same people that they're trying to help. And this is what we call secondary traumatic stress. Now, why is this important? Because now what we're seeing is a drastic increase of secondary trauma in our education system where now teachers are traumatized um, because they are overwhelmed with the different um, circumstances and needs of children with high levels of trauma. The problem is, is that we do not prepare them for the career that they're walking into is not trauma-informed, the trauma-responsive practices is not embedded or anchored into the degree program. So therefore, when they come out, they're hood, wood, and bamboozled, and they're like, what in the world is this? Uh, secondary trauma, or SDS, or compassion fatigue, however you want to call it, um, is, is getting so bad and, and, and really worsening. Um, to the point to where now first-year teachers are leaving education. They're not just resigning from education. Teachers are not just retiring from education. We are having people just resigning and not coming back to education. The first-year teachers are only staying in education three to five years, and they're going into another field. Um, enrollment is down far as new teachers um, um, studying to become certified teachers. Uh, the interest is not there um, like it used to be. Now, um, and I and again, you heard me say at the beginning of the show that um, trauma is a, a public health crisis and it is an occupational hazard to many of the great professionals who are working in these very, very, very challenging environments. And so therefore, when we look at trauma, we have to do better on one, informing and educating everyone about trauma. I think that everyone needs to be informed, uh, certified and classified staff need to be informed and trained to be responsive to support uh, many of our children that comes into the schools with high levels of trauma. So when we look at trauma, there's things I want you to consider. I want you to consider that one, uh, kids when they come to school, it comes with two backpacks. The first backpack is the one that we all know and we all see, and that's the, the backpack that have the different textbooks, the homework and classroom, classroom assignments um, within those backpacks. But what is more dangerous is what I want you to see is the emotional pack, backpack that many people don't see. And, though, and those backpacks are filled with rejection, filled with pain, filled with sorrow, filled with depression, filled with suicide thoughts, filled with grief, filled with rejection and filled with uh, maltreatment uh, and neglect, right? Um, this is what a lot of our kids go through, and this is the reason why we have to address trauma, okay? Secondly, when we look at trauma, I'll call it the three E's. We would like for you to consider when we look at developmental psychological trauma, we want to consider three E's. One is the experience. Two um, would be the exposure. Three would be the event. Let me say that again. One is the experience. Two would be the exposure. And three would be the event. All these three E's um, should be considered when we look at someone who has been a victim and a survivor of traumatic traumatic events and chronic stress. Okay? So... uh, so now you see that we are really in some serious, 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 serious situations. And what we have done is we have focused more on academic learning, rigorous instruction, and standardized testing. And that's almost stupid to me because of the fact that if you have no cognition, you have no learning. Um, and until you address how kids feel, their pain and their brokenness and all of the hurt and pain and all of the 
abuse and maltreatment and neglect that students go through, they're not paying attention uh, in school. Um, They're not paying attention to math. They're not paying attention to English. Right. Why? Because when kids are heavily traumatized, it impacts the brain. So let me describe some of the neuroscience and impacts of what is going on inside the brain of kids. So when an individual um, is going through uh, a traumatic experience, it impacts the brain. And so what happens is there are certain regions of the brain that we have to consider. Um, A lot of of trauma trainers uh, focus sometimes on two or three. Uh, I'm a traumatologist, so... I'm going to focus on five areas. I think you need to get the bigger picture when it comes to the neuroscience of individuals' uh, brain that's impacted when they are going through high levels of trauma. So let me look at the five areas of the brain uh, that plays a part of putting people into a fight or flight or freeze mode, which in which compromises and impairs. Uh, academic learning because of lack of cognition. So one I want to focus on is the thalamus. Uh, Two I like to focus on is uh, the hippocampus. Three I would focus on uh, the amygdala. And four I would like to focus on the HPA which which is the hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland. And then five I want to talk about and look at and consider uh, the PFC, which is the prefrontal cortex, where we have learning and cognition. So when a person is going through traumatic stress, um, that traumatic stress puts individuals into a mode called uh, fight, fight, or freeze, which simply means that when we are in a threat or life uh, life altering or life-threatening situation, your brain immediately perceives this threat and assess this threat and evaluate this threat and create uh, certain ways to get and remove yourself from that threat. This is called the fight or flight or freeze. When you are in a fight or flight or freeze, um, there are some things that is going on in the brain. One, a, the PFC goes offline, which is your prefrontal cortex. That goes offline. Then your interior um, cortex that helps also regulate the emotion goes offline. So you have lack of cognition, you have lack of emotion, which means with no cognition that regulates decisions and, and no emotions that regulates feelings, then you are a dysregulated individual who's under fight or flight. And some other things we must consider in un, under these conditions would be um, dissociative and hypervigilance and hypersensitive, which I go into all of that. So let's look at the five regions of the brain. Um, and so the you're in a fight, a flight, a freeze. And, and all of this to say is those are responses from being um, your, your sympathetic nervous system being alerted and activated because the brain perceives a threat. So let's go through this. So let's say you're minding your business and you're um, working out and you're running and you're jogging um, through a trail or hiking and you run into a rattlesnake within a matter of seconds immediately your brain is going to um, is going to detect going to evaluate and assess the threat all of this is going on in seconds you don't control that and it is to perceive um, is this a life-threatening situation and when it does most definitely a rattlesnake um, is it alerts your sympathetic nervous system okay so what is going on so number one the thalamus the thalamus job in the brain is to use your sensory and your natural senses um, to perceive threat and then that sensory information um, is is sent to the cerebral cortex and is also sent uh, to the amygdala now why is that important because the amygdala is the fear center. It is the fear center that is to assess and to evaluate a legitimate threat. When the amygdala, the fear center, um, uh, detects, evaluate, and assess that legitimate threat, it communicates uh, to the hippocampus for memory. And, and obviously, you need your hippocampus because you're in your memory brain, the hippocampus needs to remember what a snake is, and it, especially a venomous snake. is. So the hippocampus communicate that this is a threat with the amygdala. And so now the amygdala goes to the HPA, which is your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland, 
and says, alert, alert, alert. This is a snake. This is a rattlesnake. It's poisonous and it can be life threatening. And so in, in all of a matter of seconds, what the amygdala does on communicating to the HPA, your hypothalamus pituitary adrenal gland, is that the, it is that the HPA begins to release uh, huge amounts of cortisol, a stress hormone um, that alerts your sympathetic nervous system. This is when your pupils uh, begin to change, your heart rate began to change, your breathing began to change, you began to perspire, and for that moment, you began to be the strongest you've ever been, and if you run, it would be the fastest you've ever been, because all of these things are going on, and you're in your fight, fight or freeze. This also impacts your digestion. You, you're not hungry. You don't have a strong appetite or no appetite when all of this is going on, right? Because this is all impacting your body. It not only impacts your digestive system, but it impacts the PFC. Remember, I talked about that, which is at your at your prefrontal cortex, the frontal lobe of the brain, where we have our thoughts, our we learn, we retain information, we make choices, we we make decisions. All through the PFC, we have executive functioning, we have cognitive capacities. Um, when we are in a fight or flight, remember this goes offline. This explains why a lot of kids are not learning. Kids are not learning because they're stupid. Kids are not learning because they cannot uh, retain information. Uh, kids are not uh, not learning because they're ignorant. They're learning because the brain is hurting. There's so much a large cortisol going on and, and released into that brain. Now we talked about the rattlesnake. Just did all of that. Uh, all of that change, um, neurological uh, change and, and physiological change in an individual. Okay, so now let's say the the snake leaves the premises and it goes um, away, goes its merry way, and you're no longer a threat. What do you think the brain does? Uh, it, 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 it evaluates, it uses your thalamus to use your uh, senses, your natural senses. It doesn't p- detect, it doesn't pick up any type of threat. And so therefore, there's a calming of the system. There's a calming of the system and you begin to come out of flight or flight. When this happens, this is when now your PFC comes back online, which is your cognition and executive function. When this comes back online, this is where now you're able to learn and you're able to retain information. You're able to have cognitive functioning and and executive function, if that makes sense now. Okay, so now we get that. But the big question is, what happens when kids live with the rattlesnake every day? Uh Aha. What happens when kids live with the rattlesnake every day? What happens when kids come to school um, and have to try to learn amongst rattlesnakes every day? It keeps the brain overly stimulated being in a fight or flight. It keeps the brain constantly uh, overly stimulating the body with stimuli and cortisol. Um, and, and this is fine, ladies and gentlemen, for short term because that's what it was designed for. It was designed to save your life. But the problem was your body was not designed to stay in a fight or flight or freeze mode every day, every week, every month, every year um, for a long period of time. Because what happens is too much of this stimuli also not only impacts neurologically the brain, um, but now it begins to physically impact the body and it begins to um, make the body sick, which we also see people that have high levels of cortisol and stress hormones released into the body that they also are prone to having chronic diseases, okay? So um, when we talk about trauma, we we must look at uh, what. how do we create resilience? How do we create a platform where kids uh, can get cognition and where they can regain executive functioning and get back in the classroom? And so I'm going to tell you, it's not going to be uh, medication is not going to be the strongest antidepressant. Um, the answer is is really um, loving relationships and attachments, right? Because that's what gets you out of uh, the fight or flight or free. Is safety. When a person feels safe, and where do people feel the most uh, the most safe, safest place in their lives? 
And it would be with people that they feel that love them. Because when you're around and you have attachments, relationships with people that love you, you feel safe. And this is what allows kids to come out of those fight or flight or freeze and they begin to have cognition. I know you're not going to believe it, but kids just perform better when they feel their teachers love them. That's, that's a fact. Kids perform better when they feel that their that they teachers and their caregivers love them. Um, we see that even with uh, babies. Uh, we know now even be- infants and, and babies, newborns, can come into the world um, and be hypersensitive because of the traumatic experiences that the mother went through when she was pregnant with the baby. Okay? So what we see is, is that uh, one of the best and most powerful innovative ways to help trauma survivors um, and trauma victims um, to come out of those, come out of that fight or fight or freeze is healthy relationships. So again, I'll be talking about relationships, 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 relationships. Um, I'm a big believer. You probably heard me say it and I'm going to say it now. If you can't reach kids, you certainly can't teach kids. In order to be able to teach kids and educate kids, you have to first be able to reach them. And so in order, and when we're dealing with uh, especially kids with high levels of trauma, let me tell you, you need to be um, the most awesome reacher that we've ever seen before. The problem is that we didn't, we don't teach teachers how to be reachers in a classroom. We try, we train them to be teachers. But when we come out into the grassroots work of education in the classrooms, you come to realize you need a little bit more skill sets and more tools in your toolkit than just trying to stand at the whiteboard giving instruction, right? It's because of the fact that kids, a lot of kids don't have cognition in the first place because of their trauma. So one of the big things you have to focus on educators and, and education professionals is building healthy, loving relationships. Yes, I, I did say the, lo- the L word love okay what the world needs now is love sweet love and that's exactly what our kids need our kids need love we see it in the neuroscience we see it in neurobiological um uh, impacts of of kids is that when kids are in loving spaces when they shown up and feel that they that their teachers love them and they like them and they're excited that they're in the classroom and that teacher is going above and beyond the call of service to make sure that kid learn and make sure that kid have all of the needs that they have so that they can focus on education listen this is when kids begin to perform at a whole nother level okay so when we talk about trauma, I want you to be considering a lot of these things, okay? It's because kids with high levels of trauma is also misunderstood by education. Um, they're misunderstood to be aggressive. They're being misunderstood to be defiant. They're being misunderstood and looked at as to be a threat. And then when we start looking at kids of color, when we start looking at African-Americans, um, uh, children and Latino children, we know by for a fact um, that that kids of color can be suspended and referred out of classrooms and suspended out of schools and even arrested from school, from the schoolhouse to the jailhouse, six times more than a white counterpart. And the white student and the student of color can commit the exact same violation and six times more uh, kids of color, African-American, Latino, Native American kids will be suspended and, and, and harshly penalized and consequence more than white students. Um, this is also what we would call secondary traumatic stress, right? It is, it is, it is traumatizing to, to uh, have to experience that in education, but that's just what our world is. Uh, so when we look at expulsions, when we look at suspensions, uh, the numbers are still the same, especially zero tolerance type of school districts that is extremely penal or, or punitive um, and not enough on being restorative. And so we see these same different types of uh, uh, situations of uh, disparities and disproportionalities of what um, kids of color go through. Okay, again, this can be very, very traumatic. And so when we look at these things, we have to consider um, how uh, stressful, how traumatic, stressful, chronic stress Um, is impacting our school system and it is for real okay Um, and we are not doing well we are also need to make sure that when we talk about trauma that 
uh, that we uh, slow down a little bit on the diagnosis is because we can mix, misdiagnose our children. And if we misdiagnose, then you already know we don't have the proper treatment. And so we exacerbate the problem even further. Another thing that we see with also with students with high levels of trauma in education is that uh, uh, there's too much path- um, um, pathologizing. That's what I want to say. Pathologizing um, too much in regards to uh, trying to just figure out problems um, with our kids. And so uh, with that being said, um, a lot of our kids unfairly go be thrown into special ed. So we have to be very, very careful when we're talking about trauma, slowing down and making sure that our kids are okay. All right. So um, what happens when uh, trauma comes to school? All that what I just said, right? Uh, all that what I just said. And man, isn't it daunting? just to be looking at them, having these conversations. But this is what a lot of our kids are going through. So uh, what do kids need to be resilient? Um, They need resources. Um, They need relationships in order to be resilient. They need uh, relationships, resilience in order to be resilient. Um, All kids should get a fair chance. I believe all classrooms should be classrooms that are beacon of light for all kids. It doesn't matter if you come from the hood to Hollywood. Um, all classrooms should be a beacon of light for all of our children and all of our kiddos to get a fair quality education so that they can reverse some of the vicious generational traumas that are going through in their families. They do that by uh, um, innovative uh, education, comprehensive education and loving spaces and relationships in the classroom. Make no mistake. Um, also been embedding equity within trauma. That helps also kids to be resilient. So they need resources. They need relationships. They need equity. They need, they need high expectations. Um, they uh, need all these different things in order uh, to excel and rise above uh, their traumas. Cultural responsiveness as well. Um, should be anchored into any trauma-informed, trauma-responsive instruction. So this is what helps kids to rise above their uh, situations, okay? And I don't want to take too much time for you, eh? uh, but I just wanted to take some time to share with you is that what happens when uh, trauma comes to school? My man, when we talk about this uh, this fall, this is going to be interesting. They're talking about this fall that we can be looking at a second curve uh, that was probably even worse than the first curve. So does that make things more traumatic? Heck yeah, it does. Uh, what about schools uh, stopped being in-person instruction and went everything online and everything virtually um, and trying to figure this thing out and learn from the learning curves? It Has this been traumatic? Heck yeah, it has, right? So when we talk about what happens when, when kids come back to school and when trauma comes to school, this is going to be extremely challenging and going to be different. And so this is why we need to have a plan. And so with that being said, I want to um, put all of our school districts, all of our principals, all of our superintendents, all of our education professionals um, on, on, on high alert. I want to call you into action. Uh, one of the big things is that all school districts need to have a comprehensive plan on on what are we going to do, what school should look like when kids come back to school. Two, how do we support kids uh, with trauma? Three, how do we support our educators with trauma? How are they going to be trauma-informed and trauma-responsive when they get back when school starts? Because, <clears throat> And then four, let me add this. Um, I think that we, our focus needs to be reaching kids instead of teaching kids. I think the first few days, first few weeks, um, that we shouldn't do any instruction and in any type of curriculum. And we just, uh, we just slow down and we focus and build on building connection. It is important that you have a connection before you try to teach curriculum. Let me say it again. It's way more easier, far more smarter is that we focus on building connection before we try to teach curriculum. Uh, Frederick Douglass was very uh, right. He was extremely right um, when he said that it is far easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. So I've said all this to say, let's get ready for the school season. 
Um, school is going to be different. Our communities are different. Our congregations in our houses of worship is different. Our hospitals are different. Our first responders are different. Um, those on the front line, our nurses and our doctors, everyone is different. We have all had to recalibrate when it comes to addressing this pandemic and, and, and addressing the traumatic experiences um, that are that is in our society and that is in our school system. And so as a traumatologist and as an expert, I advise is that we have a plan. Let us not go into the school season the same old, same old, knowing that trauma and chronic stress is probably a double or triple than what is going to be uh, or how it has been uh, in the past um, every year in the past. And so um, today I just want to uh, get you informed. I uh, want to talk about uh, trauma, talk about the different types of trauma, what it is, but yet more importantly, how can we rise above it? And I would encourage you that you can rise above it. Don't let your pain or your brokenness define who you are. It's just your past, but it's certainly not your destiny. Um, and be honest about your pain. Be honest about the tra- traumatic experiences in your life because hurting people hurt people. If you're not open and honest about what you've been through, how can you start the healing process? And so I close with this thought is that if we're going to be teaching kids, we got to focus on reaching kids. I want every educator, every certified and classified educational professional. I want every counselor and social worker. Um, I want the principal, I want the superintendent all be focused on how do we reach kids? How do we build those relationships? How do we start the school season on building solid relationships? How do we spend the first few hours, first few days, first few weeks without teaching curriculum and instruction, just getting to know our kids and allowing our kids to know them? So guys, I thank you. This has been great. This is our part one. I'm excited that you have decided to join in and listen in. I hope that this has been informative. I hope that this has been uh, something that is inspiring and motivating. Um, We have some high mountains to climb, but you know what? It takes a village for us uh, to address trauma. Um, And so just always remember that I don't know uh, how sour your life has been because we know that uh, lemons, uh, when lemons come in our lives, it can bring a lot of sourness in our lives, but that does not have to define who you are. And so I want you to leave here today having some resilience, knowing that I'm like the Timex watch. I can take some lickings and keep on ticking. And if that is so, then I want you to grab all your sourness of your lemons and you grab you some sugar and you go grab you some water and get you a spoon and stir all of that up. Stir up your sourness of the sour juice of the lemons. Stir up the sugar, stir up the water. And you keep stirring up after a while. Um, it's going to turn into a nice, refreshing, sweet, delicious drink called lemonade. And so I, that's what I want you to do today. I want you to grab all of the hurt and the pain of your past and the, the bad things that happened to you and make up in your mind that this will not define you. There's resilience to trauma and you're going to turn your lemons into lemonade. So again, guys, thank you for tuning in and listening to your host. This is Higher Ground with Dr. Hope. And always remember, if you can't reach kids, you certainly can't teach kids. Have a good day.